Today's reading is Psalms 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Since it's the uh, first Sunday of the new year, I want to say Happy New Year. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up the Bible with you and to explore the book of Jonah as we begin 2018 together. So will you join me in inviting the Spirit of God to be present and active as we seek to be attentive to God this morning together? Spirit of God, I invite you and we invite you to be present as only you can be present to us. You know us. You've made us. You live within us. You live among us. And so we invite you to surprise us this morning with whatever it is that you want to show us. But I would ask that you would direct us toward your love. Surround us and embrace us with the embrace that is like no other, to know that you love us, that you delight in us, that you're for us, that you're with us, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And with that foundation, may we then open our hands to you. And I ask for your enablement that as I represent you through the scripture, that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, to the glory of God. Amen. So why Jonah? Why Jonah? We're starting Jonah this morning. After all, there are 66 books in the Bible to choose from. Why Jonah? I want to offer two reasons. The first is personal. One of the questions that I reflected on during my recent sabbatical was this question. What's a pastor for? What's a pastor for? I mean, I know what a plumber is for, an engineer, electrician, school teacher, therapist, you know, so many occupations that you all fill, but what's a pastor for? I spent time really evaluating what I've done over the years and what I've become in the process. And I asked God to show me what it was that he wanted me to be about both as a person and as a pastor going forward. And I sense that God is inviting me to pursue two things. The first is to seek, as much as possible, to seek to awaken hearts to God. And that comes out of my own heart being awakened to God first and foremost. So that's the first thing I really sense God inviting me to do. The second is to help people cultivate life-transforming relationships. 
in relationship to God, relationship to friends and family members, people around us, people that are other than us. So those are the two things that I really sensed that God was inviting me into. And, and to do that, I really sensed that there was a need on my part to really be about the fundamentals, revisiting the fundamentals. See, this church has always, this church has had a long history of being very strong and helping to develop people uh, through the fundamentals of, of Bible literacy, of, of prayer, of making disciples of Jesus, of serving others, of showing hospitality. It's been a long and rich history in this church before me and during the time that I've been here as well of God using that to really shape people's lives. And so what I really sense from God is that I really want to return to the fundamental of exploring Scripture, to encounter God as He is so that our hearts might awaken afresh to God, which in turn can transform our relationships. So that's the first reason for Jonah. It's a, it's a personal reason. The second reason for Jonah is because I think that Jonah has more to offer us than simply a children's story. When I was growing up, my parents didn't become Christians till later on in life, and so because they had no one to tell them what it was like to be a Christian, how that was supposed to affect them, they were kind of on their own trying to figure out how to, to integrate what it means to follow Jesus into every area of their lives. And because I was the second oldest, then you know how it is, the oldest kids get experimented on, and they were trying their best to figure out how to, how to parent us in, from this from this newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things they did do, they did attempt to do with us, is to expose us to to the scripture, to the stories that are found in the Bible. And one of the books that I still remember to this day is The Bible and Pictures for Little Eyes. It's by Kenneth Taylor. And Shannon has a copy uh, in the children's ministry. Can you put that up there? There we go. There's an... That image has stuck with me even still to this day. I'm serious, every one, every one of the, the stories is a little, little story like you see up there, and then there's questions. Why is Jonah in the water? What is the fish going to do? <laughs> How long will Jonah be inside the fish? So I was supposed to listen to that and then answer the questions, but actually I was being terrorized by these pictures, and they've, they've deeply troubled me even into my late adulthood. Um, <laughs> Jaws didn't come out until 1975, but I still, to this day, when I look, think about that picture, I can hear John Williams' music, that, that, that foreboding music, na 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 you know, and there's Jonah, who kind of looks like Jesus um, in the rest of the New Testament. They kind of gave a one-size-fits-all on the characters in there. Um, but it, it struck me that even still today, when I and when, I, when you hear the word Jonah and the what, what do we fill in? The whale, right? Yeah, you know, there's no whale in the, the book. There's no whale in the story. There's some kind of a sea creature, and it only appears for three verses. So it's definitely, that is not at the foreground of this story. So what is the Jonah story really about? Well, its purpose, like all of the Bible, is to reveal the character of God through the actions of God in human history. Because you can tell a lot about a person's character by their actions, right? So whatever Jonah is about, it's written to accomplish that goal. 
So if you've heard Jonah used to try to argue for whether a person can live in the belly of a fish for three days and write Hebrew poetry at the same time with seaweed wrapped around your head, you've probably missed the point. So in the coming weeks, I'd like to explore the message of Jonah with you because it it might surprise you by what it's intended to do to its readers. Because what's at the center of the book What's at the center of the book's focus is a problem between Jonah and God. If you've ever had a problem with God, this book is for you. Can we be that honest? Jonah reveals the reality of the human condition, that people can have a problem with God. And not only that, but Jonah also reveals that we often don't really want God. And that's a condition traceable back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. That part of our human condition is to not want God. People don't often want God. Christians don't often want God We don't often want God, you don't often want God, and I don't often want God. Can we be that honest? So if you're surprised by my reading of the story as something more than a man getting swallowed by a fish, that this story might be incredibly incredibly relevant still today in 2018, that I invite you to open to the first words of the story. So if you have a Bible, there's one underneath you if you don't have one, or open up your app. Uh, Jonah follows Obadiah, and it's page 774 in the uh, Blue Bibles if you want to turn there. I want to read the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah to carry his message to the Ninevites, and he refuses. It's important to note from the outset that God's call comes to a man of faith. And Jonah doesn't stop being a man of faith when he refuses God's directive. Yes, he's disobedient, but that doesn't remove him from being in relationship with God. Otherwise, there would never be any people of God. Jonah is a member of the Israelite community of faith. His God is Yahweh. When you look at Verse 3, the word Lord is capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's a reference to the divine name of God, Yahweh in Hebrew. So Jonah runs away from God not because of unbelief or an absence of faith. And we're going to see that developed in this story. Instead, he decides to run because of a certain belief that he has about God. In other words, Jonah is a runaway believer. He is a runaway believer. 
And this is the issue of the story. It's a story of a struggle of a man of faith and his God. A story of a struggle between a man of faith and his God. And this story invites us, the audience, to consider how our own beliefs about God might bring us into conflict with God. And even lead to dashed hopes, to disappointment with God, to distancing ourselves from God. Of course, we need to discover what it is that is the specific belief about God that brings Jonah into conflict with God, and we'll be looking at that in the coming weeks. But today, I simply want to set the stage for our story by spending time in the opening verses of Jonah chapter 1. So look again at the text. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That language, the word of the Lord, would trigger something right away for the original audience of this text when they would hear these words. They would recognize it. Who delivers the word of the Lord? Anyone? In the Old Testament, who delivered the word of the Lord? The prophets, thank you. The prophets did. So they would instantly recognize that this was about prophets. And by prophets, these are messengers of God, not people who primarily told the future, but they were people who delivered the message of God. If you turn one page forward in Micah chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And if you look at your text, just even the way it's laid out in the Bible, it's all kind of indented poetry because it's basically, here is God's message now coming to some people. All right? Turn back to Jonah. Jonah is not like that. That's what makes us stand out so specifically. The typical pattern of the Old Testament is the messenger of God delivers a message from God, and here is the message. But in Jonah, it doesn't follow that pattern. It's not primarily about God's words through Jonah, but rather it's a story about Jonah. In other words, it's God's message to his people, Israel, through a story about Jonah. So if you want to hear God's word to you and to us, then we need to read and reflect on this story, which is not about a man being swallowed by a whale and vomited on a beach. It goes on in verse 1 to say, to identify him as Jonah, the son of Amittai. So that's a reference to his father. And that reference to his father links this with the prophet mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25, which I'm not going to turn there right now, but you can note it if you want to, 2 Kings 14.25. And in that context of 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah speaks to Israel in the time of a wicked king. And in that text, he represents God as one who will deal graciously with Israel even though she doesn't deserve mercy because of her sin. Hold that thought, if you can, because we will come back to that. That will play a role in this story. But back to the text in front of us. Jonah, the word Jonah also means dove, which is a metaphor that was sometimes used for Israel in the Old Testament. Hosea 7.11, Hosea 11.11, and Psalm 74.19. So Jonah means dove, and dove is used for Israel in the Old Testament. So perhaps this is the author's way of saying that Jonah represents Israel as a whole. 
not just one individual. And that affects the way that we read this story. In other words, this is a story that's intended to cause Israel, the original audience, to look in a mirror and consider their own relationships with God. How much might they be just like Jonah in this story? And it's intended to have the same effect on the people of God still today. To hold up a mirror to us and to ask us, how much might we be just like Jonah in this story? So next week we'll continue to press forward into chapter 1. But I'd like to finish today by simply taking time to listen to Jonah in its entirety. So I want you to shut your Bibles, close your Bibles... Good job. (laughs) Turn off your apps. And we're going to be like the first audience that just simply listens to Jonah being read in its entirety. And at the end, there's going to be a prompt for you to consider. At the end of the reading, I've asked Catherine Lowe and Jeff Jensen to come read Jonah for us. Jonah 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I wish worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Well, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons." Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and, Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. 
I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this, dis- this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flock, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Please use this moment of quiet to reflect on the question on the screen behind me. What might Lord be wanting to reveal to us about his character? <laughs> 